this is Invest Like a Honeybee, the podcast where you learn to be smart with your money and invest wisely. Before we get started, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. I'm not an investment advisor. Please make sure you discuss any changes to your portfolio with your registered advisors. I may continue to hold stocks I discuss in this podcast or not, depending on when you listen to this podcast. This is about Invest Like a Honeybee. I'm Henry J. Speck. Let's get started. This is a special audio presentation of the complete podcast you'll find on Patreon under B Money Simple, B-E-E Money Simple. It's a once a month inside look at, at my investing. But what I thought I'd do today is simply present it to you in the auditory format. If you want to go to Patreon, B Money Simple, check it out. It's got a seven month free trial. So, sorry, seven day free trial. After that, it's uh, $9 a month. So this is about uh, an inside look at some deals and uh, taking you through the steps that I did to get there. Let's get started. I'm Hank Sveck for Be Money Simple. In this, our second episode, I'm going to take you through a strategy that the honeybees use that I'm going to show you in just a second. The tuck and roll technique, and I'll explain why that's relevant to your investing. In part two, I'll talk about what's happening right now when it comes to interest rates and what happens if you have a mortgage and your interest rate has doubled. In the third section, I'm going to talk about a real estate deal we just completed that I think you'll be interested to find out how much of that honeybee strategy we had to use to get it done. And in the fourth part, I'll talk about a book I'm reading and why I'm a little concerned about people being so psyched up about Warren Buffett. I think he's a death merchant, and I'll talk about that in my final clip. Let's get started. Here's a wasp trying to enter a beehive. He thinks he has a chance. Now watch what happens. There's a, there's a blade of grass that's kind of a pain there, but it's the best we had with this incredible video that we took a couple of years ago. The wasp thinks he's gone in, but wait a minute. Very quickly, he's ushered out by bees who are doing a tuck and roll technique. You're going to see it in a second. They grab them. They don't, they don't kill the wasp. Because they want him to go tell his friends that you're tough and you're not gonna they're not gonna tolerate this and the scout will go back and certainly do that. Now watch this technique. There's the tuck and roll technique. So how do you respond when you're faced with a challenge in investing? And I'm gonna talk about a strategy that a real estate agent, the seller, tried to do to stop us from buying this incredible property. We had to use the wasp technique, which is you send a clear message that the behavior won't be tolerated and you're willing to go to the max. Now, what that means in investing or in, um, you know, when you're interacting with someone who's choosing to not follow through on a contract or promise, it means you're going to have to hire an attorney and you're going to have to plan out the strategy, if, if necessary, litigation. We've had a number of, uh, well, only two or three in my entire career where this has happened, but when they come up, they can be really earth shattering for you. So, the message from the bees here is you need to understand where your limits are. That if someone's going to do a certain behavior or not follow through on a contract or purposely try to deceive or steal your money, what are you going to do about it? And usually the best strategy is to use the legal system as best you can and send a message that this is your boundary and that type of behavior will not be tolerated in this case of our example this week by real estate agents or by other 
unethical attorneys. So I'm Hank. That's lesson one from the honeybee this week. Send the message and be strong with your boundaries. Find excellent legal representation and follow through on your promise. Let's get started with what's happening right now in investing as far as interest rates and how it might impact your ability to purchase real estate or refinance some existing investments. So let's have a look at what's happened with interest rates. So let's assume for a minute that we have a $500,000 mortgage amount, okay? It's a term of five years, and the interest rate at the time we got it was 3%, okay? And you can see up in here, and this is a payment amount calculator. I just Googled it for this podcast. There's so many of them. The payment is 2000 let's just say, $2,366. Now, let's say interest rates are now 6%. The payment is... $3,199. But wait a minute. It went from 2000 it only went up about $800. So a $2,366 mortgage payment only went even though the interest rate doubled, it only went up that amount. And you can see this is really an excellent one because it talks about the term principal, how much you're paying how much you're paying in interest during the five years, and that's how much you have left after five years. Think of it. After five years, your tenants, assuming this is a rental property, have paid down the mortgage to just $449,000 from $500,000. But the interesting part is your payments because often in real estate we talk about stress testing your mortgage on, say, a duplex. So if you have this duplex and all of a sudden interest rates go from 3 to 6 this year when you have to refinance, your interest rates are only going to go up. Sorry, your payment is only going to go up by $800. The question is, what can you do on rent? What can you do on reducing costs? And so on. And so it's, it seems manageable. Now let's do this. What happens if interest rates are 10%? Well, at 10%, interest rates require a payment of $4,472. Now, if we go from 3% to 10%, you have to ask yourself, can I make that payment? Is there a way for me to increase the rents or to increase um, other revenues? Maybe you can charge for parking or... Um, you know, if you if you have a solar system as we do, you can charge more for that. So the point of all of this is, when you when you make an investment on a on a rental property, you need to realize that because interest rates have doubled, doesn't mean it's a bad deal. Let me talk a bit more about that. So this exercise that you should do on any property before you purchase it, if you're going to get financing, tells you where your points are, where it's a good or bad investment when it, with regard to interest rates, if, if you can or cannot raise rents. And I think part of the strategy here is to realize that you have to purchase a property that has significant positive cash flow. If you cannot do that, do not purchase the property. Now, there, there's an advantage if, if you purchase a property, in our example, at the end at 10%, let's assume for a minute you're bringing in 4000 $500 
in um, rent per month. And you say, well, that covers all my costs, which it wouldn't, but let's pretend it did. Let's, let's pretend it's a break-even scenario. It increases the level of risk for you and also uh, increases the likelihood that you won't survive with regard to this investment because things happen. You have to replace a roof. You have vacancy. You have all kinds of other expenses. But the good news on this is if you wait 25 years, so if you hold this property for 25 years, and let's assume it's a positive cash flow building, so you're not putting any extra money out of your pocket once you purchase this. In 25 years, let's assume you sell it, or the value is $500,000 when there's no longer a mortgage. And so you go, you go to your friendly banker, and at that time, interest rates are 5%, and you say, I would like to take out $400,000 of a mortgage on this property. And after 25 years, most lenders will give you that mortgage. You take that cash, and it's tax-free. The tenants, again, begin to start paying off that mortgage. And the process continues. Now, depending on how long you're on the planet, you can continue that process over and over. But let's look at this as a retirement strategy. Now, again, as I talk about in um, one of my most recent blogs on, uh, on Beehive, on Invest Like a Honeybee, you have to have the skill to wait, W-A-I-T. You have to take this property, work with it for 25 years. Let's say your cash flow is $5,000 a year to $10,000 a year, which it should be to invest that amount of money. And over the course of 25 years, you patiently fix the roof, you take care of things, you manage the tenants. 25 years from today, you have $500,000 that has been paid off by the tenants. And for some reason, at least at the recording of this podcast, the government will not tax you on that $500,000 because that's what you paid for it. Now, actually, in theory, you did not. Because in 25 years from now, you didn't pay anything for it. Your tenants paid the $500,000. You're going to harvest $500,000 from the sale or $400,000 from a refi. So what's happening today is actually quite fascinating. People are afraid to purchase real estate because they say, well, interest rates have gone from three to six, in some cases, 7% on a mortgage. But again, when you look at the payment calculators that are out there and the tools you can use, a great deal has to do with the cash flow of that building. If it cash flows properly, and if you stress test it at 10 or 12% to be at break even, which I suggest 10, 12, or 14%, you have a cushion of safety, a margin of safety, you also have safety based on the quality of the building, and you should only buy, in my opinion, AB quality buildings. And you should background check your tenants significantly so you understand who you're putting into your buildings. And I use single key for that. I'm an investor in that company for full disclosure, and I love their background checks they do. And so you, you try to, you know, we'll do other podcasts in, on Patreon here about how to limit your risk. But from the standpoint of what's happening today, uh, interest rates going up should not have an impact on you. In fact, you may want to get ready to purchase because there will be properties available that will cash flow at the 10 to 12 percent um, mortgage rate, interest rates on mortgages. Now, remember, the reason the mortgage rate doesn't double when interest rates do is because part of that payment is principal. 
your tenants are paying off the actual balance that you owe on the purchase price. And that's the principle. And that's why the, the payment doesn't double, even though the interest rate will double. So what's happening today, in my opinion, people are afraid to purchase real estate, uh, primarily because they don't understand it. They don't understand what it means to have positive cash flow. And if an agent or someone you're working with laughs at you when you say, I need a building that cash flows when I'm paying a 6 7 8% mortgage, find someone else to work with. They don't get it. Most most experts that I see today, and I listen to these podcasts for comic relief, talk about, well, you know, you can't buy a, you should buy them, but you, you know, you can't find a positive cash flow building anywhere in Toronto or Hamilton and all these places unless it's a dump and you have to fix it up and then it's not positive cash flow and all these dumb stories. So my suggestion, what I would do is I wouldn't even look at those areas and I wouldn't even put any faith in those people other than listening to it for comic relief because they don't have a clue. Now, in the next section of this podcast, I'm going to talk about an exciting real estate deal we just closed. It's a land deal. And I'm going to tell you why I'm so excited and why we had to use the honeybee strategy to make it happen. Let's get into that deal. Now, let me get into this real estate deal that we just closed after we had agreed, we had a signed agreement And it took two and a half years to get the property. Let me explain a little bit about a tool you can use and what we're doing here. So hopefully you can follow along with me. If you go to viewpoint.ca, it's a free service for Nova Scotia real estate where you, once you become a free member, there's no strings, you become a free member. You can actually go in and research properties. And and it's a tool we use all the time. I also subscribe to a service uh, where I can actually find out who owns the properties, whether they're for sale or not. And I'll talk about future podcasts about buying things that aren't for sale because that's a really exciting sort of strategy. So here you have a place called Sable River. Now, Sable River is about two hours roughly from Halifax or the International Airport. Now, Sable River is known for its, if you can see, there's a ocean sanctuary there's a provincial park there's a bird sanctuary one of the best in the world there's a um, just all kinds of places around here which are now being bought up by trust trust organizations and land preservation and, and we have a significant amount of land in Sable River we have different parcels but this is the parcel right here if you can follow right below and I'm gonna I'm gonna get that into a larger sort of format so you can see it and the colors are pretty straightforward um, blue means for sale and this is one of the two parcels we purchased we just listed for sale red means it's been sold this means it is uh, they have an accepted offer but it hasn't waived conditions and so it's a it's quite a fascinating tool now this is Sable River, which is actually an extension of the ocean. If you continue to go down, you get into the ocean. So whether you call it oceanfront or not doesn't really matter to me. This is a map version, and then there's a satellite version. And I'm going to go through that in a second. So Sable River, the two properties were, were this one and this one together combined. Now let's look at the details, and I'll explain a little bit about what this property was about. Now let me go down and I'm going to click on the listing history. Now, 
what you can see here, it's a bit difficult to see because of the way the September 17th, 2018, it was listed. And we had an agreement on March 8th, 2021. The listing price was $49,000 for both parcels. We purchased it for thirty-five, dollars and it was on the market for 903 days. Okay, almost three years it was for sale. We waited, okay? We waited. I looked at this property for a very long time. Now, let me go into the details of what happened. So you can see, well, before I do that, we, there's a couple things you can do. If we click on satellite, you can see that it's primarily um, forest. Both areas are forest. These are wetlands. Okay, so that's a little concerning, but we have a road here. We have housing here. This, when we look at a, a topographical, this is somewhat higher in elevation. And these are all trees. This is all forest. Now, prior to uh, what we do then is we make an offer and then we get into a condition of 30 days to review legals and to inspect. That gives us an opportunity when we buy land to have our consultant tell us if worse came to, wor came to worse with today's bylaws in this community, how many lots could we put on this property? And what is the, so, so I'm assessing the downside risk. So if we purchase this property and this property combined for $35,000, what's the likelihood we're going to get our money back? And I would propose to you quite quite good, quite high. There's, there's a great opportunity for us to get that $35,000. Because if you look at this one, we just listed it for $59,900. Now, we haven't sold it. Listing doesn't mean anything. Maybe we'll sell it for forty-nine dollars or $39,000, or maybe we'll just won't. We'll just keep it doesn't really matter. This could have been two lots. We looked into the division and it just seemed like a lot of cost for it. So we thought, well, eventually we'll sell it and we'll recoup our entire investment, which means we'll have this for free. This can be anywhere from four to six lots. And our plan is to maintain, uh, develop a, a laneway from the, what this is called the ocean, believe it or not. It's an amazing kayaking area for wildlife. We would put a common road here so that anyone who purchases a lot, and we anticipate the lots would be sort of this way, if you can imagine, so that everyone would have access and ocean access as part of their deed, so deeded access, and there would be places down here you could put kayaks and all that kind of thing. And the lots would probably, because remember, let's look at the size again, 16.5 acres. So if we put five lots on that property, which would be my preference, each lot will be three acres, a little over three acres, which would give someone enough land to be self-sustaining, to be private, um, and it would be an amazing estate. So we make the deal. Uh, it's It turns out it's a, uh, when someone passes, it's part of the estate, and the people are sort of dragging their feet. Ah, it's going to take time. We can't find the will, blah, blah, blah. And about every, you know, initially when we got the news, we weren't going to close on time. We've got some reasons and we continued. And I would send my lawyer, you know, email saying, hey, what's going on? What's going on every month or two? And they'd ask for an extension. We'd provide it. And then things got a little strange after about a year and a half. And let me tell you what happened. 
So sometime during the process, about, uh, let's say, six months ago, we learned that they had actually relisted the property. As you would expect, even though we had a deal that was illegal, or I guess illegal, maybe it's not criminal, it's something we could have gone after them for because we had an agreement. We had, breach of contract is a serious issue. So the when that was found out, when I found that out, we, we immediately emailed the agent. I did, and, and uh, the agent working for us did. I was very strong, and then I talked to my lawyer and asked him to email all parties and indicate that under no uncertain terms would we allow this to happen, Would we, we would be litigating, and so on, and we had a legal agreement to purchase the property. And, of course, they came back and said, well, you waited too long, pointing to us, which was, again, a lie and being dishonest, which when, in my, in my world, when someone starts to do that, then all bets are off for negotiation. There's no reason to negotiate. It's, we have a deal, this is what it is, and you're going to sell us the property. So that went on for, I would say, a month or two back and forth, and finally they agreed that we did have an agreement. And then suddenly about two, and then they said there was a certain date we were going to close, and about two weeks before that date, the agent sends me a waiver saying, I'm going to no longer want to purchase the property because I waited too long. So even though we had gone through all of this, her attempt, I guess, was thinking that maybe I wouldn't notice an email or read a PDF properly, and I would give away our rights to purchase this property. So, of course, that, like the honeybee pulling the wasp out at the beginning of this, caused us to be significantly assertive, and we closed the deal shortly thereafter. It's only been closed for about, I would say, three weeks, which at which time we listed the parcel um, for the 59,000, uh, which is about six acres, five point some acres. So we're pretty excited about that. I think uh, if it doesn't sell in another month, we'll take it off the market and reevaluate our plan. But these are, I'll, I'll just close this section of the podcast by saying that these are really land bank investment opportunities. So even on the other property of 16 acres, we probably won't divide it for 10 years, if at all. Um, and I really don't care because I know at any time the parcel together would easily return my $35,000 plus inflation, plus interest, plus a profit. So I'm quite confident. And, and there were announcements made after that about other properties that were purchased large tracts by other trust funds and other um, nature trusts. And this is an entirely preserved area when it comes to um, what's going on. Now, they don't deny development. So... There is no reason to believe we wouldn't be successful, but even with the two parcels as standalone and selling the 16 acres as one house lot opportunity for someone to build an estate or to, without any type of um, extra permission. And, and you should also see uh, from my original uh, part of this section of the podcast, the road, you know, we were on a paved road where we have high-speed internet. We have... Um, obviously electricity the water there is incredible the the wells that you can drill there and 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 pull out the water so there's no issues of of supports but think about it high-speed internet in a nature preserve with ocean access at least kayak access to some of the most pristine land in canada what a deal but it took some fighting because they tried to steal it from us twice after we had an agreement to purchase locked up Now, let me uh, flick to our final episode section of this uh, podcast, which is why I'm having trouble even believing anything 
Warren Buffett says. Let me get into that episode next. So Warren Buffett is the head of Berkshire Hathaway, which is touted as one of the most greatest investments of the history on the planet. And one of the books that I recommend in our book, uh, What Grandpa Learned from His Honeybees, is uh, a book that has all of the different annual letters he writes to his shareholders. And I'm still reading that. I'm not le- it's not that I can't learn from him, but this is some of the concerns I have about his company and why I would never invest in them. And, I, and whether you do or not, it's up to you. They just announced this past Saturday some incredible profits. And, and there are two areas that I have a great deal of concern ethically and, and from a business standpoint. The first is he's heavily invested in Coca-Cola. Now, he says he drinks five, six cans a day of regular Coke. And we all know what's happening with obesity, type 2 diabetes. And if people want to drink Coke, they can do that. It's a free country. But, you know, obviously he's going to make more profit the more people drinking sugar who then develop type 2 diabetes become. So that's that's one part of it. And you could argue, well, Coca-Cola is also in spring water and juices and all that other great stuff. Well, a lot of those also are, other than the water, perhaps pure water, are inundated with sugar leading to type 2 diabetes and so on. So he's basically an obesity factory when it comes to um, Coca-Cola. The second part that I have a great deal of history in working is the... Um, Insurance industry, having helped people after car accidents, and certainly under, I certainly understand now that I'm retired, I can openly speak about this, the game of denying people benefits, of telling people their house really didn't burn down when it did, and so on. The primary method for insurance companies to make a profit is to invest the float, and I'll explain that in a second, and also to deny claims, to fight claims. A float is the premiums you pay that they haven't, they don't have to pay out. So, when they, when you pay your premium on your house or your life insurance, they're not paying that out until supposedly a claim happens that they have to pay you out on, which takes a very great deal of time and effort and often litigation for you to get justice. So that float they can invest legally. It's like their own bank. They have a bank and you fund it. And that's the business. I get that. But it's the denying of claims I can't live with. So to make more profit, Berkshire Hathaway has to pay out less in insurance premiums. And it's it's in their annual reports. And I've been reading each year. I'm probably about halfway through the book. And if you just Google, uh, you know, Warren Buffett annual reports, you can you can read them for free if you just go through and look at each one or buy the book, and they're all sort of in a nice sort of format. They're very educational, but they also help you understand how they make money. They also don't pay a dividend. They believe they are smarter than you, and they are the best able to invest any profits for you, and that's the argument they use. I disagree. I think it's your money. If you're invested in that company, you should you should get dividends. If they don't pay dividends, I'm not interested. And that's just my two cents on it. So be careful when when you know it's it's kind of back in the day when the tobacco companies were highly profitable and pension fl- funds and uh, government pension funds were highly invested in tobacco companies. And then they realized that you know it's one thing to make money, but it's how how are you making the money that matters. And I think it does matter, and that's why I'm having nothing to do with Berkshire Hathaway. And I'm really um, seeing the, the Warren Buffett um, 
great investment you know strategies that don't have a lot to do with uh, the welfare of mankind so you have an amazing day thank you for listening i hope you've learned something remember read this or sorry watch this a few times if you want to pick up some clues play a little bit with viewpoint even if you have no desire to invest in you know in nova scotia it's a great tool to boost your financial literacy and education i'm hank Sveck for be money simple i will see you next month